Okay. We're back in live streaming. Okay, if everybody wants to take your seat, we'll we'll head on in. We'll go till about six o'clock tonight, and then we'll have the two-hour break for dinner, and then we'll be back for Q and A at eight o'clock. Well, as, as I open it up for questions too, I just I just am so happy to be here in Mexico. Actually, Christiane and I have been in Mexico since the beginning of February. Actually, down near Guadalajara, where Anna's from Guadalajara, and we were down in Chapala. You used to live in Chapala. Very nice. We we love it. We I'd say a couple of years ago, a little over two years ago, I was invited to to a a Course in Miracles gathering in Guadalajara at a uh, attitudinal healing center. Some of you heard of those with Jerry Jampolsky and Diane. It was the 20th anniversary of the attitudinal healing center and I spoke there. Then I went up to Ajijic, which some of you might have heard of Jimmy Twyman. Um, he's, he's making an ACIM village in Ajijic. And he recently wrote to me and said that he has like 70 people that are interested, that have written back to him, of being part of an ACIM, A Course in Miracles Village, in this little town called Ajijic, which has like, I think, the second largest concentration of English-speaking people in Mexico, a lot of Canadians and Americans. And our house, this house, we have La Casa de Milagros, is in... Chapala, Mexico, and when I was in Ajijic, I was there with two friends of mine, and there was a uh, a real estate book that was in the place where I was staying, and one of my friends said, don't let David see this real estate book, because there was one particular property in there that they said, specifically, don't let David see this property. But of course the Holy Spirit guided me to open the property, open the book, and find the property with one day left in Mexico. So on my way to the airport, I got a real estate agent to show me this property. And the same woman who said, don't let David see that, she was jumping up and down like a Mexican jumping bean. She, could, she was so excited. So long story short, we have a full-time community that's going down here in Mexico. And pretty soon we'll be joined, I think, by Jimmy Twyman in Ajijic. So we will have, within the span of like five kilometers, we'll have two Course in Miracles communities going down here in sunny Mexico. So if you come down and you want to come visit us. Jimmy Twyman? Um, James Twyman wrote Emissary of Light and yeah. books. Yeah, he's he just had this, he was just in Ajijic uh, recently maybe like late January or early February, and he got the guidance to uh, have an ACIM village there. So it's, it's kind of a, a little hub. We've got a little Mexican hub of Course in Miracles going. I know there's lots of groups in Guadalajara and huge amounts in Mexico City and everything, but um, we just did a week-long retreat there, and we had a lot of Spanish-speaking people that came and a lot of translations and it's quite a healing center. 
just going deep into these experiences and people coming from different backgrounds and different modalities, but it's like a, there's a strong synergy there. So I'm just so thrilled to be in Mexico and yeah, we love it down here. It's just the people are friendly and happy and open and you know, wherever there's a call, it's beautiful. So we have the microphone, the roving mic ready to go. And we're ready for practical application. 1% principle and 99% <laughs> practice. So let's, we'll swing into the practical application. <laughs> yes, I think it was. Um, well, during the break, I just opened your, one of your books, and it says that time is already finished, but so that's why we see the past always. And that's something that I, how, how do you live or how do you, I don't know, to me, like when I read that, it, I enter in conflict. It's like, <laughs> I know that we shouldn't do anything because it's it's a film and we're just watching. But when it comes to practical life, it's like, no, I don't understand. <laughs> well, let's, yeah, let's look at that. That that everything in perception is the past, and so that's lesson number seven. I see only the past, and. Uh, I had somebody recently who just was like, oh, David, I cannot wrap my mind around that. I just, that is the farthest thing from my human experience. And I said, right, that's, that's why we call upon the Holy Spirit. That's why we need lots and lots of miracles, because it's going to take a major shift in mind to loosen up from this idea that the past is gone and the future hasn't yet happened. You know, we know that there's psychics and prophets that prophesize, and, and Nostradamus could see centuries into the future with great detail, but he wasn't really reading the future, he was reading the past. That's why it seems with psychics so extraordinary. Like, how could someone actually accurately predict the future? Well, it's like Akashic Records and reading the past. But I would say, the best thing to think about when your mind starts to be in lockdown mode or, or you start to feel something coming up with that, there's a great line in the Course that says, trust would settle every problem now. And trust would settle every problem now. I've even got, I, I formed the first Course in Miracles monastery in the world and, and there's a big picture of Jesus when people drive up to the monastery in Utah and they come on the gravel in the parking lot and Jesus with outstretched arms and I think it says something like a version of trust settles every problem now. The actual quote from Jesus is trust would settle every problem now. So that's why the first part of the talk was so much around trust. And I would say the trust helps increase the inner guidance because the more that you pull your mind away from all the past learning, and most of us have got quite a bit of past learning. I had 10 years of university even on top of 
all the other learning. It's just reinforcing that belief system that past is different from present and is different from future. But the ego invented that whole construct. And actually the present moment is not between the past and the future. It's before time was. It's actually before Abraham was, I am. That's what Jesus was teaching 2,000 years ago. So I wouldn't w worry a lot about it. I wouldn't try to, to like say, how am I going to get that, you know, that it's all the past. It's, it's the willingness, building the trust, opening to the guidance, following, you know, you receive those feelings we talked about in a small group when you do your healings, you're right on it. You're, you're getting right into the intuition. You're getting right into that. And that's the inroads to greater trust. So that uh, if you have a conflict like thinking, how am I going to make a living at this, which is a common kind of thing, it's just a lesson in trust. Uh, the people that are down there in Chapala have come from all parts of the world. There's, uh, there's some two or three there from Australia, uh, Europe, North America. I don't, think, I don't know if we have anybody from South America there right now, but um, and during the retreat, from a lot from Mexico. But, but there's a vibe there of just coming together and learning to deepen in trust. And and that you go forward when you start to think for a moment that right now there really aren't any problems. Problems are always remembered or anticipated. And so even when we get into the survival of the body or like making a living, there's a lot of constructs that are overlaid on top of that holy instant. And really the trust is just taking us right down into the holy instant. To, to an experience, not like a concept, but an actual experience that we have everything that we, we need. And then ultimately, even deeper into this state of mind that really doesn't have any needs at all. Does that have this experience, like, when I worry about things for the future, it's, I get like frustrated and crazy. But then, when I come like into the present moment, it's like, I don't need anything now. Why would I be worrying about the future? But then, I don't know, it's a tendency of always thinking, but what's going to happen after? No, I can't always live like this, or how is it going to work? But yeah, I guess it's a lesson of trust. Yeah. It's like conditioning, you know. We're conditioned to prepare for the future. And that takes a lot of of mind training and trust to wash away that conditioning. And there was a movie, I, I love movies so much, I, Jennifer just told me we're going to have a comedy movie tomorrow night, so we were talking about some really good deep spiritual comedy movies, but um, there was a movie called The Abyss, um, that some of you have seen where it goes way down into the trenches of the ocean, and at one point the main character in order to fulfill his function and really go drop down way down into these deep trenches and troughs where the water pressure is so strong that the only way he can do it is he's in a special kind of suit that can handle the pressure and then his lungs would actually just collapse. The air would just be crushed in them unless he takes in liquid oxygen. It's like a pink liquid oxygen. 
but mammals have a reaction to liquid going into their lungs. All mammals react. <laughs> no kidding. <laughs> because that's this, you can only imagine if you started to take in water or liquid. But he actually goes through a very disorienting phase when he starts to take on this pink liquid oxygen and then he stabilizes. And his lungs have to go a, a little harder to, to breathe the oxygen, but he's able to breathe the liquid oxygen. And I, th I love that scene because it reminds me, that's kind of what we're doing with the Holy Spirit. We're so used to being in charge. We're so used to handling everything. Our conditioning is so strong that we have to personally take care of this body. That, that there's no such thing as divine providence handling our every <laughs> care or concern. And so it's almost like we have to take the liquid oxygen. And we, I know for myself, I had, after 10 years of university, I was really <laughs> reacting to, to, the, to the idea of divine providence. For example, I'd go out on the road and I'd say, Jesus would tell me where to go, what to do. Really, I had so many miracles and yet the ego was always like, this, this isn't going to work. I don't have enough money. I can't be out on the road for any prolonged period of time without money. And Jesus was like saying, remember, you work for me now and I told you that I would take care of you and I mean it. If you're going to share my message, I'm going to take care of you. Like all the Course says it, the lilies of the field, seek ye first the kingdom of heaven and all else shall be added, you know, all the stuff. My biggest problem was, was I was refusing the things that were coming to me. I would have people come and stay with me, offer me money, offer me food, offer me a ride. And I had this kind of university pride of, nope, we don't do that this way. I was kind of raised with the Protestant work ethic and you don't take handouts. So I was, uh, you've heard of that movie with Jim Carrey, Yes Man? I was no man, no. I was just no, 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 no. And then finally, I think it went on for some amount of weeks, uh, Jesus finally said, would you stop that? I'm offering you, you know, like the old thing about I send a boat, I, you know, it's the helicopter. It was the same thing with me. It was like practical things like a ride or place to stay, food, different things, something, something to drink. Uh, it was just so much pride in there. And it, it, I just was, you know, it's kind of like in the Matrix terms, you know, it's like the, you know, the blue pill. Why, oh, why didn't I take the blue pill? You know, it, I just had so much conditioning that I had to provide for David. Nobody else would provide for David. And that's what all that university was about, making sure I could provide extra well for David. And then this whole unwinding and dismantling was just saying, trust me that I will go before you and I will bring you what you seem to need to do the function. And it's gone on, yeah, for 20, 25 years of just, I need this, it shows up, it shows up. And, and I just had to let go of that judging mind that's just, saying, no, it, it can't go. Maybe that's lucky. Maybe that was just luck, you know. The ego always tries to, to defend against divine providence.
<laughs> He's very careful. He's <laughs> testing, testing, testing. <laughs> uh, you, prior, you mentioned the fact that uh, the more you, shall we say, lost your ego, the less ambition you had. What's the status of that right now? What's your ambition level, or is there is that a valid question? Or I'm yeah. Curious. Yeah, that's good. Oh, I, I guess in Mexican Spanish terms is is nada. <laughs> no, I don't. I really don't have any ambition, and and it's kind of funny because sometimes people will say to me like, "What in the world are you doing, going around talking to people and going around the world with no ambition?" And I said, "Isn't this the coolest thing?" Uh, because I just don't. I don't have any kind of drive to. Achieve anything or fix anything, or I, I, you know, even like spread the good word and all this stuff. I, I just don't feel that at all. And so it's kind of like it's just for me the simplest thing is listen and follow. So I feel inspired by what is given me. Um, there was a time with the course where I was living in a little tiny travel trailer in the woods of Kentucky like Henry David Thoreau with a, a little picture of Jesus uh, on the wall kind of sitting over Nazareth with, or over a, uh, Nazareth I think with his hands folded on his knee in a, like a peaceful meditation and I had I was sitting there with cockroaches and just living out there simply in nature very content back around like the late 19, 1987 or something, and thinking, okay, I can just ascend right now. It's just, I'm just so happy. And, but I'd given everything over to Jesus, and it's like, no, not quite. <laughs> you're at the beginning. <laughs> you're, not, you're not ready to ascend. You know, it was like, oh, I've got, I'm going to speak to you, and I'm going to speak through you. And there was bunches of things to come, which have been very, very joyful. I've loved every moment of it, and I, I wouldn't trade anything. But, but the body has been quite active, actually, honestly, over these, these years. But it hasn't been any kind of sense of trying to fix the world or improve the world or like self-betterment or anything like that. The opposite of the university life or whatever that you were leading before. Yeah. Yeah, it's almost like I, I dropped out of university life completely. And um, it was completely opposite. And I think I had uh, doubt thoughts in my own mind, which were reflected in my parents and friends. Um, when I would go out to this hermitage in the woods and meditate and pray and read the Course and just kind of live a mystical hermit life. My girlfriend at the time, she thought, I'd really lost it. She thought, what are you doing with your life? Where is this leading? I said, I hope to peace of mind. But she did. She was a Christian woman, and she had aspirations to. Well, she wanted to marry a Christian husband and, and a, some kind of a, a leader in the church or something, a deacon or an elder or whatever. but. And I was, the course was just taking me inward so quickly that I, 
I didn't really have any ambition, but I could feel the, the peaceful benefits, like getting washed with this peace. And I knew that was the direction that I would follow. But that's a pretty good question. Yeah, th it could look like I actually had some ambition, but I don't. <laughs> Nada. <laughs> yeah, that's what my, my dad used to say. As I would go deeper with the Course, he would say, <laughs> My dad would say, lazy, dirty, rotten, no good bum, get a job. <laughs> and that's, I thought, those are my doubt thoughts. Those, that's, I was doubting myself as the Christ, so of course, you know, we draw forth as witnesses. And, uh, I'm, I'm really all about practical application myself. Yeah. Right? So I've heard you speak before about... Um, you know, secret thoughts, right? Private thoughts. In, in your community. Mm -hmm. And I'm wondering about how does that look? How do you, how is that possible? I mean, I just want to know how that works. Because it kind of leads up to maybe you answer it. Then I may have another question. Okay. Yeah, the, those were two. She, she might have another question. We'll come back. But those were two. Um, guidelines that I was given, because I never, in my whole life growing up uh, with my parents and university or whatever, I never even gave a consideration at all to community living. Um, if somebody said, you know, you'll live in a community or something, or, or a number of communities, I'd say, oh, come on, that crazy stuff, I mean, I'm not crazy, I'm not going to live in a community. You know, I had, it, was, it just wasn't in my mind. I just had no context for that. And then, as I traveled and spoke, I would meet people and this and that. Occasionally I would come to like a community, a spiritual community, and just get a feel for it, this and that. But along with all the travel, which I just, I, f I really feel everyone's in my community, so I can't, I could talk about it in symbolic terms, but it just feels like the whole universe is, is my community now. But in terms of, of a group of people that seemed to share a purpose. When we came together, there was all kinds of darkness that came up, unconscious stuff. Every community I've ever been to, the, every relationship that, that this world has, the unconscious stuff is going to come up. And it just seems to be even multiplied when you've got more than two people, uh, even four or five, you get to eight, nine, ten, you get up over 30. Uh, it's, it's a fast track. Uh, but the ego also can kind of like hijack your mind <laughs> if you don't really have a lot of discernment and guidance in that. But basically, I was given two guidelines from Jesus, no private thoughts and no people-pleasing, because there was a part in the text that said, if you would know the holy instant, there is nothing that you can keep hidden or private, that the whole mechanism of hiding and protecting is is how the ego keeps itself covered because it's all in secrets you know it's all it wants is secrets and we were talking about gossip the other day gossip is just nobody says gossip to people right to their face it's always behind the back and the ego is just full of lies and secrets so no private thoughts and no people pleasing was a very rapid way of 
of allowing the emotions even to come up. Because a lot of times people will just stuff their emotions. They don't want to show the darkness. They don't even want to acknowledge it. They just want to kind of put on a happy face, smile their way through it, and pretend that it's not there. And keep it together, you know, keep it, keep it together on the surface. So what it is, it's more like listening with presence where somebody, whether it's with a pers person or even with a, a group of people, where they hold the presence of love and just let the thoughts come up and the emotions come up so that they can be allowed up into awareness, it just seems to speed up the healing process without that repression and denial. We are certainly not encouraging people just to speak uh, everything that they're thinking. Um, I, had a, I gave a talk in Hawaii one time and uh, I was talking about no private thoughts, no people pleasing and, and how rapid that, the healing that comes from that. And one, a friend of mine went to the first night and went and just told his girlfriend every secret that he had in his mind <laughs> and then came back the second night and he, he said, that didn't go very well at all. <laughs> and I, he said, is there another part that goes to that? And I said, yes, discernment. <laughs> you know, we have to let the spirit with all things guide us. You don't just spill every single thought that you have almost like, uh, like Tourette's syndrome or something, you know, a, a Course in Miracles version of Tourette's. So the people-pleasing part is that when the mind wears this mask, it's so afraid of rocking the boat, upsetting others, that oftentimes it will just stuff down thoughts and, and even prompts from the Holy Spirit because it's too afraid to follow the Holy Spirit for fear of what will they think, what will they do, how will they react. And those are important prompts that are part of, of healing. And so that no people-pleasing, we're not saying you shouldn't have private thoughts or you shouldn't people-please. It's more allow yourself permission to just notice what those motives are. And if you're trying to avoid, cover things over, hide things, and be willing to expose that. Oftentimes people can do that in prayer with the Holy Spirit. They just expose their, their thoughts to the Holy Spirit. But sometimes they, they're so stuck in them that they need a trusted brother, a trusted friend, a trusted sister, or even a group that's quite well trained in the purpose to be able to just hold the space to listen in a non-judgmental way. And they experience huge healings. Oftentimes they get in touch with what's underneath, a lot of dark stuff, and they just move through it so much faster. So that's, that's where those guidelines came in. And when I met this, the man who took A Course in Miracles to China, um, he basically told me that he felt that that was the introduction of the Course as nothing real can be threatened, nothing unreal exists, herein lies the peace of God. He felt like those were practical guidelines to live by to practice that introduction with no people pleasing and no private thoughts. And it's actually worked out that way. Uh, you'll find that, I think if, if you ever visited uh, one of the communities or even had a Skype call, you would probably feel there's like a sense of openness and trust and you know, it's okay to speak whatever you're feeling without fear of you know, judgment or you know, 
something coming back. perception could be n not heard at all, it could be just me, right? But I feel like, well, she actually says that, look, you can heal that stuff in your own mind. Don't bring me into it. <laughs> but she's in my house, and we're together all the time. How can I know how to do that? Yeah. So I'm conflicted, like, yeah, okay, if that's what she wants, I'll try to do it myself. But I think it's helpful. It'd be helpful. It feels helpful to me if we could work together. Look how much Helen Shepman and Tom Fetzer, Fetzer I can't remember, wrote the Bill Thetford. Two mm -hmm. people. Mm -hmm. God, what can we do? If the two of us can work together, it can be incredible. Yeah, I think that it's, it is important to just remind and be reminded that, that it's always our own lesson. Um, I remember in the early years working with the Course, it was like Jesus in my mind sounded like a broken record. I would talk to Jesus and he would say, it's your lesson. And he, I'd talk, it's your lesson, it's your lesson, it's your lesson, it's your lesson. But, but, it's your lesson, but, but they, it's your lesson, it's your lesson. It just was really helpful. Jesus was riding that one like you wouldn't believe. To, to really have me get that, that, like he says in the Course, I am responsible for what I see, I choose the feelings I experience, and I decide the goal I would achieve. And everything that seems to happen to me, I ask for and receive as I've asked. I love that passage because it's like, okay, got it, no wiggle room there. Uh, I'm not going to be a victim if I give myself over to that way of thinking. And also that as you pray in your heart, you, you want to collaborate, you want to share miracles, you want it to be, miracles are a collaborative venture. He says, as you really do that, again, you will draw forth witnesses into your life, and maybe this isn't one of those. It sounds like she's like saying, listen, you're you and I'm me, and don't even think of healing with me or something like that. Sounds like that's a reflection, but, but as you cultivate that 
that desire for miracles and healing, you're going to have reflections that are going to come into your life and around you that are going to be part of that, that collaborative spirit. It's just a reflection. Like, for example, in my life, uh, I started reading the Course, I started having all these miracles and everything, and then there's a part in the, in the Course where he says, I have to direct where you bestow the miracles. He said, I, Jesus says, I am in charge of the plan of atonement, and I will direct you where to bestow the miracles. I kind of messed up on that at the beginning. You know, I tried with my mother, with my sister. How many of us, you know, you feel joy, you want to share it with certain people, and you get, you know, at one point she just, she said, I don't need a minister. <laughs> that should have been a clue. I mean, you know, I don't need a minister. And then at one point she finally, she said, you need to find other people to share this with. And Jesus said, yep, that's me speaking through her right now. <laughs> I'm using your mama. That's actually me telling you, you need to find other people. So that's the way that it works, that sometimes the frustration comes in when we have a housemate or a roommate or a parent or a child, and we so much want them to be our collaborator, and, and yet it's, we're not in charge of that aspect of the plan. Uh, we need to tune in to JC Central. Uh, <laughs> say, calling JC Central here, uh, what, what, would you, what would you have me do? And he, he said, yeah, just love your mother. <laughs> you know, just go forward and I'll, I'll speak through you in many different circumstances where there's people that are asking for it, you know. And that helped me out, too, when um, these people started showing up in the 1990s. They said, I am your student. You are my teacher. I am your you know, it was, uh, if I hadn't read the manual for teachers, it would have been kind of a freaky thing of having people showing up and calling themselves students and me the teacher. But I, I was aware of that. And then Jesus said, now with, with these students that, that have come that are part of this mind training you're going through, um, don't, don't try to point things out with the students uh, until they give the invitation. It was so beautiful. He said, don't even point a single thing out because it's all about your own mind and, and yet they're coming because they want to learn and they, they want to learn from you and of me through you, but don't do it. Don't point anything out until you get the invitation. And it's, he does say that in the text where he says, don't correct a brother, you know, because your brother is always the Christ. Never correct a brother. That's, that's an amazing teaching. Never correct a brother. But he, in this case, with the teacher-student context, he said, wait until they ask. So I had one student who said, please, if you see anything at all, I want to let go of my ego. Please point this out. Please do that. And her husband was not a course student. He was a Jewish man, and he had no invitation whatsoever. We weren't even in a teaching student context. So sometimes I would go over to their house, and I would spend time with her, and I would be very direct with her because she had given me the invitation. I could easily just float in the next moment after having a very deep kind of session with her, I could float right over to her husband and he'd say, come on out and watch the basketball game with me. Come on, I just want to sit on the couch with you and spend some time with you. And I'd go 
float right over there, and I'd have to be really open with Jesus to just going where there was an invitation. And I, it really taught me a lot that, that even with these gatherings when I travel around the, the world now, I really only go where I'm invited because there's no sense of needing to go anywhere or there's no ambition or there's no sense of needing to be with someone. I was actually in, in the South Island of New Zealand one time and there was a man who had a, a little camper van and he was following me all over the South Island, wherever I'd go, he'd show up. And then finally he came to me and he said, oh David, you've got to come to the North Island, you have to come to my Course of Miracles group. You have to come, you have to come there. And he called them up and he talked to them. Well, the group didn't want me to come. The group was like, what do we need to see this guy for? It's a self-study book. We're doing fine with it. And he's like, no, you don't know. David's happy. You know, you guys should, we would, we would all benefit from listening to him. They talked to the group. The group was divided. You know, some of the lady who had the house, the group at her house, she said, she was quite adamant. She's like, she kept telling him, no, 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 we don't want him here. And so finally, when I talked with him, he said, please talk to her, convince her, call her. I said, listen, if she wants to call me and, and talk, I'm glad. So she called me up and she said, I really don't feel comfortable with you coming to my house. I said, that's great. I'm so glad you're in touch with that. I told her, I said, that's fantastic. You're in touch with that and, and that's beautiful. I said, it's a, it's a pretty long way out of where I was heading anyway. This is just making it really clear. But there was no need. There was no push. And I think that's what's going on. You know, you have such a beautiful heart. You want to collaborate. You're open to miracles. You know that collaborative vibe of working together. And it's a beautiful thing. And believe me, Jesus and the Holy Spirit, they are really good directors of that. They, they will have it come to you in the most wonderful way when you, you'll go, oh my gosh, this is what I prayed for. But it, in its own time. Yeah. Yeah. me again. <laughs> I just want to throw a clarification that you had prior you were talking about I forget exact, exactly what it was but you uh, spelled the word S-O-L-E. Was that the correct spelling or did I miss certain I should have corrected, not corrected you but I should have asked you. Yeah, so they have the one responsibility of the teacher of God and the miracle worker. He says this is in two different places. The sole responsibility, okay, meaning okay. only. Okay. okay. Yeah. yeah. I, was, I was trying to read soul into it. Yeah. yeah okay, but I'm clear now. This microphone is a part of our mind training today. You, you don't know what you're doing with it. <laughs> My biological father has passed away, yeah. and uh, he, he was such a reflection of how my heart and mind opened up so fast that uh, before he passed away, even in uh, intensive care, uh, 
amazing experiences that we shared, amazing reflection of love. And, and to me, that was so beautiful because a lot of times we think, well, I may shift a lot, but my, my mother, <laughs> my dad, my parents, it was just a beautiful reflection. And then uh, he passed away, and then my biological mother, Evelyn, uh, she's still going, she's in her 80s, I think mid-80s, and uh, we come together whenever I'm out around the Midwest in Cincinnati, and it's like we never miss a beat. It's just, just joyful coming together and rejoicing, and it's just another amazing reflection of the miracle, because it wasn't always that way, you know, growing up and everything, but it's like, to me, these are symbols of, of such love and healing. Yeah. Thank you. That's good. We'll turn it off when we're <laughs> moving it around. <laughs> Very quickly. Ah. That might be it too. Okay. Yes, that's good. It's all mind training, even with the movement of the, the microphone. That's good. sense of uh, personification, like the ego created this, the ego did that, and, and so I just wonder what comments you might have about that in terms of what ego really is, how it works. Yeah, yeah, because actually Freud um, used the term ego, but it was, it was more, in his concept, it was more of a mediator between id and superego, so it, you, ego strength was a good thing in Freud's system, so, and I came through uh, psychology, so I, when I got into the course, I really had to start to open to Jesus, like, well, what are you telling me here, because you're the master, and these, even somebody who invents the word or uses the word, it, we have to kind of redirect and come to a clear, uh, clearer understanding. But the more I, I read the course, uh, like, Jesus would kind of, poke fun at, thing, at the ego, like saying, basically he was saying, you will never understand ego dynamics. And for somebody who came through psychology, I was like, I'll never understand ego dynamics because the ego isn't real. It's, you can't ever understand it. You can forgive it, but you can never understand it. There's certain parts of the course, I think, if you get to the teacher's manual, um, what is the ego? Nothing. Where is the ego? Nowhere. You know, it starts to just really come to this point like we're not, we just gave it a name so you could allow these beliefs up into awareness and bring them to the light. That's the only reason we did, gave it a name. It doesn't have any dynamics because it doesn't have any power. And, and yet when you give your mind to it, you, you give it power. So it's like a puff of nothingness that if you give belief to it, suddenly 
seems to take on, um, you could say, destructiveness or guilt or pain or shame, all these kind of emotions, just from giving belief to a puff of nothing. It's like the Big Bang is like, almost like empowering nothingness and you have an explosion of nothingness that comes from empowering it. I think the, probably the most helpful idea that Jesus shared with me in the Course was he said, you made the ego by believing in it and you can dispel it by withdrawing your belief from it. Almost like the Wicked Witch of the West, you know, or just some water. It, in the end, you know, all these flying monkeys and this long, crooked green nose. And I remember, I, as a, I'm melting. I'm, yeah, I was frightened of the, the Wicked Witch of the West watching that movie. I always would be like, oh my God, her voice and her, the way she looked. And then it was some water in the end. That, to me, is, is how we can't fight the ego. We can't go at it as if it's like some kind of identity but we can start questioning our beliefs and our values. And somebody asked me one time, they said, if, is there one saying in the Course that helped you rapidly move through the ego more than anything else? And I had to pause for a moment and I just got quiet to think, you know, is there anything at all that was like the most important phrase that, that helped me? And and it, what came to mind finally was to learn this course requires willingness to question every value that you hold. Not one can be kept hidden or it will obscure your learning. So I started out to become this big questioner of the ego. And I was already doing it before I came to the course, even in graduate school. I would say, well, isn't that an assumption? Aren't you assuming this? Aren't you assuming that? I was already like questioning. And I had, I, when I was in graduate school, I had friends who were with me. And, you know, sometimes I remember they would come around me and they would go, David, David, stop it. Stop it. Stop questioning. You're questioning everything. This is not going to be very good for you in your life. You are questioning everything. And I said, I don't know, it feels helpful. And they'd say, no. And they'd say, finally, get a life. Get a life. And I'd say, what do you mean by that? Get a life. They'd say, get in debt. Get this, get a house, get, you know, you know, get some credit cards, get, you know, and this was, I'd say, that's a life? they say, yes, 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 get in debt and start living, and then, and then I said, and then, and then, and they said, yes, and then grow old and get sick and die like the rest of everybody else who's been doing it for <laughs> however long, and I said, I don't know, that's just not acceptable, if, if that's a life, if what you're describing to me is a life, I don't think I want to get a life. I think I'd rather keep questioning what's the assumptions. So eventually when the Course came into my life and I read, to learn this Course requires willingness to question every value that you hold, 
I felt like Jesus was the biggest cheerleader. He was like, go for it. You question, you keep questioning. And I still see now it was just a phase because I had to come into more acceptance. Like Jennifer was talking about, you have to really come into allowance and acceptance of what is. But uh, the questioning really helped me. I, I wasn't just going to read it in the news or see it on the television and just accept it as the truth. I, I really felt that there was a lot of assumptions under this world. And I, I quite frequently would say there's something fishy about this world. I don't know what it is, but there's something that doesn't add up. And I'm going to question. And so, with that, <laughs> we have reached dinner time. <laughs> you made the ego by believing in it and you can dispel it by withdrawing your belief from it oh I like that one I thought oh that's what I needed to hear about the ego that I can go for no fighting no killing just dispel dispel well thank you all it's been absolute delightful way to spend an afternoon and I'll probably see you all at the restaurant. I guess, are we going to any specific restaurant or we're just...